Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. On tonight's episode, we look at Takashi Miike's Rainy Dog. Uh, but before that, it's time to ask what you've been watching, and Stephen, what has been holding your interest, if anything? Okay, I've got three things this this episode. There you go. That's good, because okay. I'm... Obviously, as we record this, we're in the midst of Takashi Miike Mom, so all my recording stuff, all my watching stuff is just Takashi Miike, and we're obviously doing the little bonus episodes to cover all that, because no one's to hear me just talk about Takashi Miike movies for like 15 minutes. (laughs) Alright, well, I've got three things. One is a callback to a previous episode, um, and also I think a film that you've discussed on one of your other shows, um, Tale of Two Sisters. Um, we talked about this one. We have to. I said we've called back to one of our previous shows. Oh, sorry, I thought you were yes. saying about some of the other shows. But I know yeah. you, you, you talked about it with Kim, didn't you? Over at um... uh, no, it was from Jess with French Toast Sunday. I introduced right. to um, Tale of Two Sisters, which was after we'd discussed it, and um, yeah, she she enjoyed it, which I was very relieved about because it's and it's a unique one because it's got those sort of elements of a ghost story there Mm. but at the same time it's got a little bit of psychological horror in there as well so you're never sure which way it's going to go kind of like audition but it's not so much of a slow burn yeah so yeah it's got elements of sort of the grand guignol the the haunted house and the evil stepmother myth and then it's just this beautifully crafted film i mean as you know it's one of my sort of top five films of all time anyway um i I, as, I, as I can admit now, I've been cheating on you again. I've been back on the Eastern Kicks podcast um, talking about this um, because Arrow just released yet another version of it on DVD. To be fair, it's only the second version that's been out in the UK. I'm replacing a Tartan version, which, believe it or not, came out 20 years ago. Um, well, nearly 20 years ago. So, got the new Blu-ray... Um, beautiful beautiful set with some really nice extra features a couple of commentaries on there um but of course it's one of those films that you want to look great on blu-ray with all the william morris wallpaper and all that and i'm pleased to report it is and it was really nice re-watching it again and it's kind of interesting you know it's, it's talk talking to some of the guys about their their relationship with it which wasn't as strong as my relationship with it um, I, I feel maybe I'm on my own, mate. <laughs> but uh, I just think it's a remarkable film. But most people prefer um, Kim Ji Woon's "I Saw the Devil." Um, I can't, I can't get them, I can't get them tuned in to tell the two sisters. Anyway, so that's a. You can go find me there in a couple of weeks' time, probably, or probably months ago, depending on when this comes out. <laughs> it's probably probably out um, already, depending on how quick they edit things. So but, anyway. Um, we as anyway. always, if you check on our Facebook and stuff, we'll put the link up there. We so. will. 
We will. Um, I love the we. (laughs) (laughs) As though you're like so heavily involved in the social media side, not just muggins here on his phone on Sunday afternoons. I just like and retweet. That's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, more importantly, um, obviously back in the day, but not so much since I've been doing this podcast, I I used to sort of have a regular K-drama or or Taiwanese drama that I'd follow. And to be honest with you, for the last few years, I, I just haven't. Um, I, I I don't know why. Um, maybe it's because they've become fairly mainstream, and I like to. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an agitator. I like to live outside the mainstream. Now, I, I I don't know. I just think there's a few, and maybe maybe a lot of the K dramas I was finding quite samey. Anyway, I found something. It's a couple of years old now. Although the second series just came well came out on Netflix this year. Um, it's a Thai drama, which I think are called Larkhorns or something like that. And it's uh, 12 episodes first series, 8 episodes second series. Um, it's called Girl From Nowhere. Um, but that's, it's nothing to do with the one bin action drama. It's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's basically, I think it's like a teen drama. Although some of the episodes on Netflix come up as 18. So that can't be right, can it? Um... It basically tells the story of a girl called, um, I can't remember her name now, Nano. And Nano, basically every episode, turns up at a new school and is either the catalyst or the antagonist in unearthing some bad shit going down at that school. And basically unearths it and draws it to a conclusion um the first so i've only watched the first three episodes the first episode there's basically there's a there's a teacher who's obviously the you know the the, the cool new teacher that everybody likes that's got all the fun ideas and and deals with all the issues in the staff room but it turns out he's a predator and uh has relationships with girls at school inappropriate and Nano sort of basically tricks him and ruins his life and his career. The second episode, a bunch of kids for various reasons do some pretty awful stuff to Nano but it turns out that she can't be killed and in the third episode that I saw it's at one of those schools which you know is meant to be extraordinarily prestigious and only has geniuses if you've seen the Korean film film Pluto you'll you'll know the sort of school I'm talking about but basically she encourages a girl to and I quote go to Google control C (laughs) control V and that's how you'll achieve everything in life and um, and anyway as the season goes on, it becomes clearer and clearer that, that Nano is not a normal person, and in fact she's some kind of spirit. Um, I'm, I'm working my way through that. And if you've had a little twinkle of them, that sounds familiar. What it's really like is the Japanese... Yeah, um, I was supposed to say the same. Which is a manga and also series of films. Now, Tomi is a bit one note from my point of view. Tommy usually a girl turns up, this girl usually turns up, a guy gets obsessed with her and does terrible things, usually 
to himself and those around him and then eventually to Tomi and then she survives and she goes on to the next victim and it's just a constant cycle of um, a story of obsession whereas this is interesting so Thai Thai TV is especially sort of the, the adolescent TV is really interesting so there's a series a couple of years ago called Hormones which I guess is like I guess it was their version of Grange Hill, you know, this show for kids that would maybe sometimes deal with subjects like teenage pregnancy and suicide and self-harm that you don't see a lot in Asian sort of general TV. Everything's all sort of lovely and like in K-dramas, you know, everyone's so chased with each other and oh my God, he kissed me a bit too hard is like the worst thing ever going to happen. So it's really interesting that this girl from Nowhere thing... um, has got a little bit of guts to it. Um, it's not gory, but it, it it talks about and shows subjects which are quite challenging. I think the first series came out purely on Thai TV. It got picked up by Netflix, and this year the second episode, the second series yeah. is up there. You know, it's now all branded as a Netflix original. It ain't, mate. <laughs> but, but yeah, this is what they do. But hey, it's on UK Netflix, and it's really, it's really worth. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'll probably follow it up next, um, next show with with how it ended for me. But the first episode is fantastic. The next two are all both pretty good, and you know, I've suddenly found myself this morning three episodes in and thinking, I need to stop, otherwise I won't do anything else today. Finally, um, I talked last episode about um, Irazumi and how bloody fantastic that was and that it was from the same director as Giants and Toys Yazuzo Masamura and I got hold of another set of his films which have been released in the UK via Arrow. I'm really hoping I mean the guy I think his most famous film is Blind Beast but I'm hoping he's got a huge back catalogue. I'm hoping more and more of his films are going to come out because everything I've seen of his, I bloody love. And the latest one is... um, It's called... um, I'm just trying to remember what it's called. It's called Black Test Car. Um, It's it's from a series of 11-day movies from the... I'm going to say the 50s. No, early 60s. Early 60s. Which all or begin with the translation black at the beginning um what you have to remember is yes you know like every time there's a scandal someone sticks gate on the end yeah um even though it they don't really know why i guess these days um there was a whole series of events that happened in japan in sort of the post-war u.s occupied and then japan's re-entry into the world economy that all got prefixed with black um there's a thing called black fog for example which is um what they described everything that the americans did that was a little bit not right in was was in occupation um so these things were done under the black fog so there's this series of 11 films i think all of them or most of them begin with the word black but basically it means something a bit shady about about something shady and suspicious and black desk car is basically a film about a small company that are trying to bring a new car to market um at the same time their main competition who's a bigger car company um is also going to bring a car to market um 
it's basically a film about industrial espionage and spying um done like a traditional spy movie hmm. but it's 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 like but in offices <laughs> so it's a, it's kind of hard to explain but there was a sort of series of movies like this and there's another one on the dvd as well which i'll watch next for next time but yeah it's it's this black and white and you know you know the the visuals are like the third man you know was it called charisquito and style and there's deceit and there's double crossing and there's a little bit of sex in there and there's also this thing about this sort of early discussion about what it means to be a salary man you know to be completely obsessed about your company and to live for the success of your company and the hierarchy that's above you maybe to the detriment of the people that you love like your wife and your family and you know there's a guy here who ends up basically getting his girlfriend to sleep with the head of industrial espionage at this other company and in the end he loses her and unsurprisingly anyway it's just 94 95 minutes of glorious 90 early 1960s black and white spy film but set in the world of making and selling cars there's barely any cars in it apart from one that crashes at the beginning and one that gets crashed into at the end but yeah really good i'm i'm becoming a huge fan of yatsuyo masamura um i don't know again i'll talk about this on the eastern kick show i just have no idea how i've never heard of this guy before um and it's it's because we've all got too many things to care about and we've had things like you know um uh, kurosawa pump no, that was the only thing that was really pumped at us from a previous age and maybe more cult cinema whereas Mur- Mur- Masamura is working in this sort of more I don't know what the what word is sort of just just films that are getting pumped out every month so 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 many people are watching films in Japan 10 times the audience for a film is 10 times that it is now in Japan and basically Dai were putting out three movies a month and one of those movies had to be in this kind of industrial drama espionage kind of mode and that's not something that we had so they never got over here they never got saved they never got sent off to festivals or anything like that and we just got you know got a a weird wacky shit from japan or or the or the kung fu well ninja movies and the and the samurai movies and maybe the women revenge movies but we didn't get the sort of uh, just drama movies really um even though they are of a time where japan you know it's incredibly westernized in what people are wearing and the way that they're talking um, you know, if this was set 10 years earlier in America, you wouldn't have blinked. So, yeah, it's it's worth checking out if it's on the Arrow player, I don't know. But um, it's not great quality, even on the Blu-ray. You know, it's, it, I don't know what the source was. Um, but it's not it's not terrible. It, it's, it's very similar to um, The Invisible Man yeah. versus The Invisible Fly kind of quality, the film we watched a few weeks ago. Um, from the same studio actually isn't that um similar time so think of it like that so yeah v- very highly recommended if if a little um difficult fantastic to genre um obviously as we That's record on this we are in the midst of i would say we i say i am going in the midst of uh the takashi miike month 30 takashi movie we yeah 
30 Takashi Miike movies in 30 days. Uh, we are currently doing it as a fundraiser to raise money for the awesome charity that is Marvels and Meltdowns. So if you wish to donate, uh, you can through the Just Giving page, which we will put uh, in the description below. Um, all donations are welcome, no matter how big or how small. It's all going to a really fantastic cause, helping the parents of special needs kids. So that's um, what the whole goal is behind this, other than, you know, just to totally unglue my sanity by watching 30 Miike movies in a month. So... Yeah, if uh, you haven't seen it already on the podcast feed, you will see that we are putting out uh, monthly, sorry, not monthly, uh, weekly recaps of uh, what's been on the viewing pile so far. So we're going to do little capsule reviews so um, we can cover everything that's on there and um, get it out rather than just having these odd episodes uh, out that discuss it also. But is there anything else that you want to talk about, Stephen? I know that on our on our Facebook page uh, as of today, we are here on a Sunday, we've launched <laughs> our Sunday Culture Corner. So uh, every Sunday we're going to be putting out some cultural bits, uh, including uh, <laughs> the Maki Ito match uh, that we put <laughs> the key five seconds up of, uh, which you can check out on our Facebook page now to learn just how bonkers Japanese wrestling is and uh, just how awesome Maki Ito is, the fallen idol I I don't even like wrestling even I <laughs> yeah because it's like in, when in, in America <laughs> we went to AW and they did an explosive barbed wire death match and they kind of screwed up the end. It was just like the ring was supposed to explode. And it was supposed to be this big explosion. And instead, we got this little puff of smoke out the side. So it all kind of fell apart. And then we look at DDP, who are kind of like one of the more out there companies. They got um, a character who's uh, an inflatable sex doll that wrestlers actually battle with in the ring. So you're basically watching a guy throw himself around a ring battling an inflatable sex doll who's actually on their roster as a registered wrestler so make of that what you will uh you got nothing to say as i said it's like when boston put the master uh, <laughs> one of their players they can pass the ball to him um but yeah, that's the sort of fun things that you can find on our Facebook page. So if you haven't checked it out already, please do. We're also on Facebook, we're also on Instagram and Twitter as well. So come and say hi to us, give us a like, and uh, as I said, we post something new pretty much every day, including uh, most recently we uh, put up the tribute to the awesome Sonny Chiba, um, who sadly passed away as of uh, us recording this and. Mm. We had a chance to obviously we obviously uh, commemorated his life and legacy on the page, uh, but yeah, it, it's a very sad loss because um, we lost him and we also lost the one of the key animators for like Fist of the North Star as well, like the same day. So it was just a real tragic sort of double bill, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and Sunny, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Sunny lost his life to COVID nineteen. Which is sort of the second sort of icon of Asian cinema. Yeah, I mean, after, um, yeah, Duck, I mean that was that was a big shock. I mean, obviously we lost Sonny, um, we lost um, Massimo Suda as well, and as I said, that was two in the same day, and it's it's just um, turning into what twenty sixteen where we lost everyone again. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously also in the UK, we lost Sean Locke this week as well, who was a, a major comedian, um, sort of very popular on our TV screens. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit, a bit of a sad week, really, for losing people, uh, you know, sort of heroes and and icons and people that have entertained us over the last yeah. few years. Um, I do also have to give a credit out to Jason Corsairs of Sons of Thunder Studios, who did a really fantastic tribute piece of um, artwork. He's kind of known for whenever you have like a figure of like the exploitation, cult cinema sort of genre uh, passes away, um, like Yapit Kato. Um, he always does like these amazing pieces of artwork. And if you hang around like groups like Gemma's Guide to Midnight Cinema, their banner changes just to whatever his latest tribute piece of artwork is. But uh, definitely check out his studios, Sons of Thunder Studios. Uh, some really fantastic artwork there. And um, I think his, his Sonny Chiba piece is just another example. It's really fantastic. So. Um, but on that note, we are going to fire up the projector for tonight's feature viewing as we check out Rainy Dog from 1997. Okay, so Rainy Dog is, as we said already, is directed by Takashi Miike. The Man of the Hour, uh, so certainly this month anyway. Uh, released it back in 1997, it forms the middle part of the Shinjuku Triad Society trilogy. Um, the trilogy itself, like many trilogies in Asian cinema, is not about reoccurring characters or plot lines, but instead more about reoccurring themes and ideas. And uh, with the Shinjuku Triad Society, I never really cared for the first film, but uh, the second film did actually make our top 100 list. And had you seen this one before, Stephen, or was this the first time viewing for yourself? Do you know, I've got to be honest with you, early Mike, I haven't really explored. So this is the first time I'd seen this. Um, you know, my, my, my relationship with Mike really starts in and around <coughs> audition, maybe a couple of earlier ones. Here on 99. This sort of, uh, yeah, this, 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 these earlier films, um, and it's not, you know, they, they talk about these being a trilogy. He's making other films in and around it, like Fudo and stuff like that, all, all made around this. But no, it's not something I'd ever explored. And what I wasn't expecting was this film. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna completely ruin everything now. But this, this isn't when, when you said we were gonna watch Rainy Dog. This isn't the film oh, I was really? expecting. I'm really curious to know what film you uh, yeah. were expecting. Were you expecting like a John Woo style shoot 'em up or something? Um. Well, no. I, it's kind of interesting because. Well, what I wasn't expecting was a film in Taiwanese. Let's let's start with okay. that, start with that, or in or in man or in Mandarin, a film set entirely in Taiwan, with most of the dialogue in in Mandarin. It's not it's not in Taiwanese. It's in Mandarin, except for stuff. You know, when our lead actor is talking to a number of characters in, or to himself in Japanese, which gives the subtitler an interesting challenge. Ray, he feels he has to um, differentiate between the normal subtitles, Mandarin subtitles, and then when they're speaking in Japanese, to put little little boxy brackets around them to differentiate. I'm thinking nobody cares <laughs> about that, mate. Um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, and what I wasn't expecting for a film to look and feel like this from Takashi Miike. Um, you know, you, you talk you talk often about films from his uh, yeah. Outlaw period, which is a phrase taken from Tom. Yeah, Thomas is the first one who sort of defined the eras of uh, of Miike. I mean, certainly mm. his book Agitator covers the outlaw period of his work and there was a real cutoff point when he sort of transitioned into more mainstream work and while he obviously had dances with other sorts of cinema within this period such as like you know zebra man and when he it was after i really want to say it was after his masters of horror episode imprint and things like the box for free extremes um and uh, Ishii the Killer that was sort of like really felt like you know the box was empty at that point and he really sort of transitioned into making more mainstream films and doing things like 13 Assassins and that's led on to things like For Love's yeah. Sake and uh... I think um, yeah I, I, I know where Mez is coming from with this I mean let's face it he's written more about Takashi Miike than anybody else. Yeah, him and Shinja Tsukamoto, um, <laughs> he's sort of like the guy to ask about him, really. It's... And, and obviously his website that he used to be part of, you know, was one of the formative things that got me, you know, hunting down Japanese cinema in particular. So, no problem with Tom. Um, I think I think my... my I, I would say that actually the... The difference is there's the films he made before he was western famous so to me it's it's almost like <sighs> audition to me is that point where suddenly a film of his is famous maybe only festival famous i mean that that had a, an exceptional life outside even outside of festivals but things like ichi the killer like you say ichi the killer got a fairly mainstream dv uh, uh dvd release over in the uk and you can't really see say if you're getting mainstream dvd releases you're an, an outlaw anymore um but there is a whole 30 odd films maybe more that are you know classic VK, all kinds of genres all kinds of styles um some of it's all kinds of quality you know some of it's he's still at this time he's still working in v cinema as well as proper cinema so the sort of straight to video um thing which doesn't really have an analog over here um we'll call them b movies but yeah they're, they're designed to go straight to the video shop that's probably in the red light district and it, it's it's not it doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's got a certain quality. And we've talked about it also when we talk about the pink movies. And it's interesting that Mike never you know, didn't get his um didn't get his schooling by making pink movies. He just made all sorts of things. And this sort of drawing it back, this is a work to hire job. Um, which is why I find it interesting that it's 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 considered part of this sort of trilogy of, of themed movies um, and it's not, it's not just because it's come out of a DVD set over here no. with those three I mean, it's, 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 well, it's, long, it's long been considered part of a thematic trilogy about alienation but this, 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 was, a, this was a work for hire job he went over to Taiwan to do so you think it's a bit, bit weird that people sort of place his, his hand on the teller quite so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Mike has always been the hired gun and when we obviously use the term of like the 
the outlaw period it's mainly because the films of these periods are just mainly very sort of renowned for featuring lots of like sex and violence and extreme gore and just these absolute sort of shocking moments which were obviously calmed down more for the films which like followed and they were sort of more easier for mainstream audiences to sort of get into when you look at like 13 assassins while it obviously has those moments of gore and violence and certainly there's a um geisha who's missing several limbs which shows that Mika had certainly not lost his edge even though he was making a more mainstream product um the it, as i say it wasn't certainly going as full-on as as these early films were and as he likes to often say he was like you know he made films for boys out in the countryside so it's <laughs> And Rainy Dog's this yeah. I mean, unique one because it's very yeah, sort well, of unlike a lot of films of this series, a lot more uh, restrained. Well, so the reason I'll, I'll tell you the reason I'm surprised by this, and, and maybe maybe you'll know this. So, so it's it's not just set in Taiwan. It could be a Taiwanese new wave. It was apart from mm. a couple of moments. Um. I just thinking this just doesn't feel like Mika at all, apart from the, uh, the the weird scribbled out giant penis having a piss on Taipei bit, which was a oh bit yeah, he loves Taipei. Like it, <laughs> 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 like, it's not Taipei. <laughs> Taipei. <laughs> it's more like a Taipei as it was, but yes, there's a weird <laughs> artifact on the on the screen, which is like nothing. Nothing else in the film has that kind of visual. Anyway, basically, all the crew are. Um, People who have historically worked with Hu Xiaoxian, the famous Taiwanese New Wave director, the guy that did, well, more recently, so City of Sadness. Um, I can't think, have we done any of his films? I don't think so. Um, but yeah, City of Sadness is his favourite one. Daughter of the Nile is one that you can get. Um, the Assassin was a big cult hit a couple of years ago. So very quiet slow cinema films um and that's why the film looks as it does because he bk was directing that crew and he doesn't speak taiwanese so i think he was just getting them to do stuff and hoping for the best and luckily what's come out of it it's a real it's a real little treat because i think because bk makes so many films and they don't all hit the mark and some miss quite badly i think at times people don't always give him the credit that he deserves for being a really good filmmaker um but this is a really yeah if if it wasn't for a couple of moments and the fact that the lead character is who he is this could be a taiwanese new new way film it's 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 fascinating but anyway, I guess I've leapt ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, that's fine. I mean, the film itself, it follows a exiled Yakuza uh, member who's been basically sent to Taipei and it makes a living as a paper hit assassin whose boss is um, sending him out to kill members of the other syndicates in the area. And his life is basically this sort of hermitic existence he goes out he does jobs he comes home and he watches like gamma movies to deal with his homesickness the fact he can't return to japan 
he's uh, basically stuck where he is and he's trying to do all these jobs to save up so he can get fake, fake uh, passport documents so he can return back to Japan. Things take a turn for the more well, things get more complicated, should we say, when his ex-girlfriend drops off his mute son at his house and basically says, he's your problem now. And being the great father that he is, basically ignores him, leaving this child to follow him around like, um, um, oh, what's her, like Natalie Portman in Leon. Yeah, but much more like a stray dog. <laughs> but, so, but yeah. yeah. And this is the thing, he goes around, he does his jobs in his white trench coat and sunglasses, and he, um, all the while he just basically ignores this child, who somehow, through some sheer will, um, manages to, to like, not die of malnutrition or hypothermia, because this is a town where it just rains pretty much all the time. And there's an extended sequence where he's shacked up in a whorehouse, and the boy is basically left outside with a stray dog for company and left to basically dig through garbage to mm. for like nutrients. And all the while he's shacked up with this prostitute called Lily, um, who's played by Zamia Chen, who in turn ends up becoming his love interest. Yeah. This is this is one thing for anybody who doesn't know. This isn't how prostitution works. You don't by a session with a woman and then move in with her and form a relationship that day. <laughs> it's a bit weird, but um, but it's very true romance. It is, yeah. But I guess it's similar similar time that than that came out. But yeah, very weird that that you know they just because he's. Oh, I think she falls in love with his tattoos, basically, doesn't she? Because she takes his shirt off when she sees he's got all those amazing Yakuza tattoos on his back. Although, interestingly, not really shown to us. We just see, like, on his arms, don't we? We don't see the full... We see his back as we? well. I couldn't remember if we he's did got, um, On his back, he's got a, a large full back, back piece of a geisha. Right, and she just goes... Um, oh, that's beautiful. And uh, the whole dynamic between, sort of... John and prostitute change in that moment and she basically kind of falls for him and they start up this weird little family unit don't they but they do and I mean the whole sequence in the brothel is just weird to begin with where he like walks in and he's like oh are these girls clean and it's like no we can't guarantee that (laughs) 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 he didn't even go to the brothel on purpose he's he's is he is he hiding from the rain, isn't he? Because he's got this thing about the rain. Yeah. Like when it's raining, he has he can't be outside in it. Although he quite often is in this film. It's not it's not very it's not very consistent. But yes, basically he calls off a hit, doesn't he? Because it starts to rain, and then he he go he goes not, and then he gets called in and and Blackie Co, who is who plays the brothel master, who's like a big. A, fa- a, a famous face in Hong Kong cinema. So I don't know what this guy. I don't know what he's doing there. <laughs> but he's he's there and just yeah, and just says hey, he shows him three or four girls, and um, next thing we know, he's shacked up with Lily. Um, and there is a suggestion that the first girlfriend, who who's 
the, like, they, they end up calling the son Chen, don't they? The boy Chen. There is a suggestion that she was a prostitute as well. So maybe he's got previous. I don't know. It's not very explained, but that's why it feels like Taiwanese new wave. It doesn't matter. They just this this family group suddenly exists. Can we just talk a little bit about Blackie Ko? Because I mean, he's obviously considered to be like one of the greatest automotive stunt choreographers in Asia, but he was also a producer, stuntman, singer, and actor. Yeah, as well as a director. Uh, because, you know, you can't just have one hat and work in Asian cinema. Um, and the fact he also drove a car over the Haku waterfall on the Yellow River in to celebrate the handover of Hong Kong. Um, I wish that we celebrated more things by driving cars over things. Yeah, the, I mean, we we used to have Evil Knievel, didn't we? Well, we didn't, but the Americans did. Who would, the Americans did, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, had, we had the fella, didn't we, then, who ended up in a as a quadriplegic afterwards but yes um we need we we need more of that also the, the <laughs> yellow river ain't a small river either um, mm. yeah and sadly he died at 50 although he looks about 75 in this in this movie um yeah he died of blood poisoning sadly um but no his stunt work i mean you can see in yes madam he did the car stunts for that in dynamite fighters as well and he also did stunt work for dragon from russia which was the adaptation of crime freeman right uh which also got an american remake with mark dacos gotcha in like one of his two noteworthy movies the other being drive and then obviously he turns up as a villain in like um john wick three okay and he's also the Iron Chef, as I found out from some of my American friends, uh-huh. who had no idea he was a martial artist. He's like, like what, Mark Dacos, the Iron Chef? He's a martial arts guy? It's like, yes, Mark Dacos is. <laughs> he was also uh, the crow in that awful uh, show, The Crow Stairway to Heaven. Uh, one of the film spin-offs, the TV. Yeah, show. yeah, it was It was in the same group of um, programming that like gave us Mortal Kombat Conquest. Gotcha. And Renegade, um, and the War of the Worlds TV series that that sort of late night TV block uh, over yeah, here. I know what you mean, but yes, back to back to back to Blackie Ho, Code, yes, Blackie he, Ho. Um... I mean, yeah, I mean you'll 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 see him as an actor in things like One Arm Boxer, um, Wheels on Meals. I did say that right, didn't I? I usually get that wrong. Yeah. Um, he's, it's, it's easy, isn't it? He, he, he fight back to school too with with um, Stephen Chow. You know, he's a he's a He's, he was a he was a big deal, and again, just weird to see him in this film. Um, I mean, he did live in Taiwan, so I guess it's not impossible for him to uh, to turn up in this film. But yes, the, the the cast and crew combination is is very odd. I'm, I mean, we haven't even talked about the opening sequence, which I'm not fully sure I understand, where where our lead character um, is taking a taking a ride on a on a pig um a meat and a meat packing lorry with loads of uh what's a pig corpse called <laughs> that's, you would need a corpse carcass. carcass that's what the pig carcasses and sort of takes them to the market and loads them up and you find out that he likes listening to the weather on the radio but it's never really referenced again unless i missed it um bit, bit odd i assume that was just him doing like Odd jobs, really. yes but he, but he hadn't been he's waiting for work to come through yeah, but he hadn't so. been sacked as a yakuza yet which is what I didn't really understand why he was in Taipei. I've got to be honest with you. He seemed to be there for some reason. And then one day he gets a phone call telling him his boss has been killed 
another guy, the guy phoning him up was now in charge and that he was being excommunicated. Oh, and that he was, um, his sister was going to be looked after, which I thought was a real arsehole thing yeah. to say. <laughs> it was his sister, was it? It was like, it's sort of like, so was, yeah, he was basically saying that, you know, the boss is dead, I'm taking over. Um, don't worry about your sister. I'll look after her. Yeah, which can mean all sorts of things. Which, if you if you if you accuse the boss of saying that, it's probably not a good thing. Uh, and yeah, so it didn't didn't I didn't really make a lot of sense. And then you get the opening credits. So it's quite a long time to it says rainy dog on the screen, which is kind of interesting. And you know, and you and and like you say, oh yes, and he's watching Gamera, one of the Gamera movies on a VC. Yeah, Gamera versus Baragon with his with his Windows ninety five PC, which is reused in another scene in someone else's apartment later on. <laughs> but never mind. Um, it was... Yeah, it was, it, it's a, but it's one of those films there isn't a lot of exposition. There's, there's only one character who ever comes out and says what his... What, who he is, what he's, why he's there, and what his motivations are, which is someone that we meet about two-thirds of the way through the film. Everyone else just is... You know, the poor boy can't even talk for himself to explain. We never know if he's really his son. We never really know the relationships between anybody. The prostitute just turns up and moves him and doesn't even ask questions for half an hour about who this boy is. Now, she hasn't noticed he can't talk <laughs> for, for, for ages. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole thing is very, very arthousey, frankly. It is very. It has a lot of art house sort of tendencies. Very subdued as well, especially mm. when you compare it to the previous film Shinjuku Tried Society. I mean, in the states, it was also released as Black Society trilogy, but over here, through when Tartan released it, it was the Shinjuku um, Triad Society um, trilogy. Mm. Um, so, you know, either way is is acceptable. Um, but um, yeah, it is. It is a unique one. I mean, obviously he. Forms this relationship with, with with the uh, prostitute Lily. They go off um, with his son, who he remembers to pick up, and they flag down this car, who then drives them miles out of the city for, into a swamp, um, to a beach where they're basically like, "Yep, they're gonna hide out in an old bunker." And uh, he phones his old boss. He phones his boss, who um, ultimately turns out to be betraying him and it's sort of like oh yes the bunker on the beach i know that one like he's just this common hideout place is just the bunker on the beach because you do <laughs> yeah there's, there's only one bunker in the whole of taipei <laughs> that, that, um, that may be true <laughs> because taipei's nowhere near the beach so, <laughs> so you I, don't, some... I don't know where they've gone actually <laughs> You also have to remember this is a film where they dig up a, a, um, a scooter on the beach and it's got a full tank of gas and works perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, so that's I'm glad you mentioned that because obviously that, that again adds to its art house credentials. I mean, there's this, this kind of magical realism thing, isn't there? The boy finds oh look, there's something here and he starts working on getting it out and 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 Lily goes along and start scrabbling out the sand and, and our hero's going, oh for God's sake and is about to walk off and then he joins in and for a moment they become like this family unit and they yeah. get it and of course 
it's all about them being together and there's this mode of escape but there's it mean you know he says there won't be any gas in that and and there is and it gets them to their next place um it's kind of a nice moment but not very grounded in reality you know it's it, it's again if this is a huge Chassin film i would have believed you <laughs> without that you know probably the, the probably we wouldn't have seen any of the the shooting actually i mean that's the other thing there's a there's lots of people die in this film but you don't see a lot of the people dying there's a couple but lots of the violence actually happens off screen and we just hear it or we see other people reacting to it mostly chen actually the boy so yeah it's very it's not as in your face as we expect a Mike film to be now we expect to see shots from the other side of the exit wound and things like that don't we <laughs> so, and and i guess especially because um yuji that the main character is played by show um aikawa who we've talked about before in in dead or alive haven't we um yes which this film feels like the art house prequel to <laughs> It's it's certainly a unique movie, especially this period. I mean, the year afterwards, he would make uh, Bad People in China, mm. which is another one of his more lighter movies. So even though we obviously remember him more for like the more violent movies like Full Metal Yakuza and Food of the New Generation at this period, um, he was obviously still making these lighter movies here. And you mentioned already, obviously, we show uh, Kira, who would go on to work with him multiple times. I mean, he's in the complete dead or alive trilogy um he's one of the big leads there he's also in new battles without honor and humanity which was not um mek movie it's still worth checking out he's also in gozu and zebra man and... yeah no he's he's in he's in quite a few you, you, a lot of your next month's gonna be full of yes you're putting it here is talking a fair bit about him over the course of this month. So, um... <laughs> um, of course, there is a there is another thing which links these three films together. Um, is that um, Tomorrow Tagu Taguchi is in all three of these films, um, who we know best from being Tetsuo the Iron Man, <laughs> but he's in this film as another hitman. <laughs> that apparently has been chasing him down for months or years don't really understand the relationship but he's, he's there from <laughs> what I gather he's been he's been dispatched to Taipei to, to track him down but at the same time he liked being in Taipei mm. He well he obviously um, likes his homeland he doesn't mind being in there I mean he loves it so much he's willing to sleep rough and peel over the city and but there's, a, but there's a suggestion uh, they know each other and this, this game of cat and mouse has been going on a long time. So much so that when when he's um, chasing down um, Yuji at one point and Yuji sort of has the, has the drop on him and has the chance to finish him off, instead they go for lunch. <laughs> Just, there's this, I don't know, is it respect or is it that they're the only two Japanese people in Taipei and they like talking to each other? It's, um. It is certainly a connection though because when it comes to Yuji, I mean, he, he, he I don't believe he actually speaks, speaks much of the local language, really. Mm. Um, so the fact he's got another 
Japanese person told it. It's like whenever you go anywhere like abroad and that and you find like other people who can speak your language and suddenly they're like your best friend because you've got nowhere else to talk to. Um so I assume that was the situation even though it ultimately becomes his undoing. Um but w- where the film sort of struggles is we have that really sort of middling bit in the middle where he's hanging out in the brothel and we get to listen to Blackie Coe singing about the rain which it just drags on it becomes a little too art house for my my liking and then it sort of picks up when they go on the run again as um, Yuji's boss basically sells him out to one of his Mark's brothers um, and this brother who's like a lawyer but also kind of a psychopath as well um, sets about tracking him down to get his revenge on on uh, Yuji which uh, ultimately leads to this rain-soaked conclusion where uh, he he sort of faces him down in the rain and I have to say it's a little bit of a down ending um, while obviously leaving it open if the story was ever to be picked up with um um, so yeah, it's I don't want I don't want to really spoil the ending, but it's um it it went a different way than I was expecting, but it it yeah it's it's a, it's a downer it's a downer, but also again this this could be a a, a, a movie from a different director, but uh, yeah, it, like like Park Chan Wook's Vengeance trilogy, it basically sets up a cycle of of revenge which is going to go on forevermore isn't it um yeah and 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 yeah some some of our cast don't make it most of our cast don't make it let's put it that way and and some of the some of the deaths are shocking um but not in a mike super violent way which is is it's just a weird thing here. It's more shocking just in a traditional storytelling sense which itself is shocking for mike so he manages to shock us by not being shocking. This yeah, is, uh, almost, he defies our expectation, like doesn't he? Which you know, which he has done before. He's done in well, he he does do later in audition. You know, we when we talk about audition, we talk about how restrained he is. Um, you know, obviously there are moments. There's a couple of moments in audition which aren't restrained, and there's a couple of moments. Yeah, a couple of people get shot in the head, and you see it. But on the whole, it's it's about the story. Um, But, but yeah, I I really enjoyed it far more than I thought I would. So, you know, I may have put you off by saying, um, it wasn't the film I was expecting. Yeah. But I, it, it was it was in a nice way because I think it showed Mike working nicely with others. Um, I thought it was an interesting story that you know I raised lots of questions, not just the plot holes and the weirdness, but you know. We've been, I don't know about you, but I, I've I've literally been to Taipei on my own and been a been a stranger, unable to speak the language. I wasn't a hitman. <laughs> Just make that clear now. But I know I know how he felt. It's 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 not like Hong Kong. It it's it's China by another name, frankly, and that's a whole story that we could get into. Um, so I guess I felt I just put a kinship with him there. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. Yeah, I was surprised you picked this one than one of the other two of the trilogy, but um, I'll be checking them out as well. Um, 
so yeah, I enjoyed it. Let's let's leave it like that. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I chose obviously Rainy Dog because we included it on our top 100 list, mm. and I like to when a, whenever a situation presents itself to you know delve deeper into into some of those films because some of them are pretty self-explanatory why they're on the list. I mean, they've got their reputation, and obviously when we did our did those um, top 50 episodes that made up the top 100 we pretty much went into a lot of the reasons why but there's other films like this where I knew you hadn't seen it and I thought that it's one that you may enjoy obviously seeing and another one to cross off your Mike list no I think I think I think I think you chose well um, um I, I, I may maybe you're a bit surprised how much I enjoyed it I don't know but um yeah it's a, it's 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 a really it's a really good film and it's a really good example, along with things like you've mentioned, like Bird People in China. Yeah. And um, to an extent, Audition. Uh, maybe there's a couple of other films uh, in there. But you can show to people that he is not just about extreme cinema. Um, you know, it's, it's a constant thing of mine that he's only ever made two and a half horror films, yeah? And the half is Audition. And, and I suppose there's the TV show, you know, Imprint. Is it imprint he did yeah um and on the whole he works in all kinds of interesting places and genres and apparently taiwanese new wave is one i didn't know that he did <laughs> mm. um yeah i mean it's as i said already i mean apart from the, that middling middle section um where it does feel like the film is stretched a little too thin over nine to five minutes but i was sort of glad that it didn't go on any longer but it's got a good opening block and a good closing block um and i'd maybe i just said maybe you just like really into so like really restrain cinema and just get enjoy that subduedness of the the middle section where you're sort of hanging out in the brothel but when we get into them in escape in the city we have that sort of like raikuda-esque guitar sort of soundtrack so it's kind of like paris texas in a way mm. uh which i thought was kind of cool it comes out of nowhere because it's not like we get any hint of this before. It's just they're out in the um, they're, they're out of the city. That is, as you said, this this thrown together family unit, mm. and you have this just like really laid back guitar stuff, and it just perfectly soundtracks this almost like magicalness uh, of the world um, through Mickey's yeah. lens. So, yeah, no. Uh, um... It's there's there's some lovely stuff here, mm. so, so, and I never thought I'd say that about a Mike film. Uh, also, show um, <laughs> Akua looks really awesome in his uh, white trench coat I mean, and sunglasses. I mean, I mean, let's face it, as a hitman, that's a stupid outfit. Um, <laughs> you're, you're hardly going to blend into a crowd. But the guy is cool as fuck, isn't he? I mean, he is, and, and I guess he made his he made his career out of being the cool as fuck guy. It reminded <laughs> so, me a lot of um, the Get Up from Man from Nowhere, like the first Korean yeah. movie that came across it, because the the hitman in that movie has the same look. Yeah, the one bin character. Yeah, yeah he's um, where he's obviously used to sort, but he's got the same sort of white trench coat and stuff, but. I don't. Again, I. Are we supposed to see this like always? Oh, this purifying force because he's like just killing bad people, or it's um, it's hard to say. But he he pulls it off. Um. So, but yeah, we will obviously be talking more about his career over the course of this month. I think that's pretty much guaranteed because there's certain other films that in the Mickey trilogy that I know. 
sorry, the Mickey filmography that I know we're obviously going to be talking about. We're going to be with you know like Gozu and Dead or Alive and stuff. So, um, in Dead or Alive, we also get to talk about another of my favorite um, actors from Japan as well. So I'm very excited about that. Who's that? I'm waiting for the pace to load because I can never pronounce his surname. <laughs> uh, uh, Ricky Takeuchi, who was also in Battle Royale 2. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. And like all the best Yakuza movies. <laughs> he's like the demented, <laughs> if you need like a demented Yakuza guy, he's sort of like the guy to go to. I'm maybe surprised he didn't turn up in Versus, to be honest. I could easily have seen him in that movie, so. I think I guess um, if the budget had stretched, yeah. <laughs> he's, bring, he's basically what Anthony Wong is to Hong Kong cinema. He is to Japanese cinema. Well, Japanese Yakuza movie, should I say? Because that's pretty much his bread and butter. Um, and he was also in Tokyo Tribe as Bupper. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. Um, There's a film we need to get back to. Yeah, we haven't talked about Tokyo Tribe, have we? We've not talked no. a lot about Sion Sono either. We need to. Add them onto the board. I, I think we've deliber- I think we've kind of deliberately avoided. Uh, there's, there's been a few films. I think we go out of our way to not talk about because we want to save them. I mean, we haven't done the ring. We haven't done. Um... We haven't, but we have got obviously plans when it comes. We have plans. We have plans to do all the rings, but you know, nearly seventy-five episodes in, and um, there are some glaring omissions. But I like I like these little little dives off to the side. Um, I, 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 I find it very unlikely, you know, anybody talking about Mike these days would would go back and dive into Rain Dog. They'd probably be aware of the three films and their importance in the story of Mike, but I, it, it, it's probably not not one that um, most people or podcasts would talk about. Uh, one last thing about Riki uh, Takeuchi he did um, he was in Yakuza 0 as Hiroki oh really <laughs> he was also uh, provided the dub for Immerton Im- Joe in Mamax Fury Road there we go see now we're just going to go and watch the Japanese dub that sounds awesome <laughs> I, don't think I don't think there's too many voices I'd recognise in Japanese <laughs> I just want to hear his bit just watch the Imitation <laughs> Joe bit we'll just throw the rest of the movie out I mean, just watch those bits oh my god there's so many lines in that movie I want to hear him say now cool. I know what we're doing next <laughs> um, but yeah that I don't know anything else you want to bring up at all are you dumb? no I don't think so it, fun, fun movie cool. fun movie very enjoyable so that absolutely brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter on Instagram. You know, come and say hi. Let us know what you think of the episodes. Let us know what you think of uh, your favourite um, Asian cinema is. Let us know what you think we should be covering. Um, and definitely, if you uh, haven't done already, please uh, do donate to our Just Giving cause for the whole of uh, Takashi Miike month where we are obviously raising money for Marvels and Meltdowns and you know anything you can give is all going straight to a worthy cause but uh, Stephen it's obviously your turn to pick next what would you like to choose 
It is. So I promise you, I'm not sponsored by Arrow. It's just <laughs> just <laughs> real convenient. It is. <laughs> it's just real convenient that that a I think you have access to the Arrow. Player I do. And B is awesome. I'm obsessed about about buying their DVDs and Blu-rays because I just think they do beautiful sets. Um, and because as you mentioned earlier in this episode, you know, um, Sunny Chiba passed away this week. Um. I haven't got an Arrow film that, that's properly a Sonny Chiba film, but what I do have is Sister Street Fighter, in which he <laughs> does kind of play a role. He does, um, yes. Um, but also, you know, you will have realised long-term listeners. I love female martial artists because it's a very... Or, or, or films starring strong female leads. The... the um, let me, I'm just trying to think. Um, oh God, what's her name? Golden Swallow. In it's not. Oh, Chang Pei Yeah, Chang Pei We 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 did we did. Um, I can't remember the name of the film, but we did one of them. <laughs> um, uh, we did. Come chocolate. drink with me. Yeah, we did. Come drink with me. We've done chocolate. We've done at least. Oh, um, if we haven't done Lady Snowblood, we've talked about it, and we've talked about other films. She's a header. Um, she is indeed. So I'm, I, I'm re- I really enjoy seeing a woman kick ass, and I have seen a Street Fighter before. But I just thought it would be a nice way to a the fact the film that we both got quite easily, um, bit of Sunny Cheap, but in there, but also you know mix in some of my other um, interests. But we'll do I've... the first film, not the other two. In fact, there's four of them, isn't there? <laughs> is there? Oh, okay. I've I've only got um. There's it. There's like three official movies, and then there's like two unofficial spin-offs, I believe. So then you got Hanging by Fred, and then Return to Street Street Fighter, and Hanging by Fred, Return, and Fifth Level Fist is on here. So it's four on here. Um, but yeah, the third one's got nothing to do. But yeah, let's 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 give that a go. A bit of kung fu. With Definitely. A bit of, uh, yes, this is Street Fighter, yeah, the spin-off to Sonny Chiba's well. own Street Fighter trilogy. Um, if you watch True Romance, you have seen it name-checked already as the third film in the Street Fighter trilogy, which obviously it's not, as um, he takes out to see you know the Street Fighter, the Street Fighter's uh, last revenge and Sister of Street Fighter but uh, no, Sister of Street Fighter is a wonderful piece of Kung Fu weird and one I'm very excited to check out, not only because it features Sonny Chiba but also his protege as well um, so we will obviously enjoy very much diving into that one on the next episode but uh, thank you for listening and uh, until next time good night.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.